This is for you. It's Wednesday, April 17th, 2019. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim, Chad Chesco. Hey, Chad, the Sixers bounced back from a game one dud against Brooklyn to tie the series 1-1. The Phillies are in first place by a game and a half after today's win. The Flyers have their new head coach. The NFL draft is fast approaching. Football talk has been a little quiet overall, though. And, oh, by the way, Tiger won the Masters again. <laughs> yeah, busy time of year, Bill, and we're going to somehow get to all of that over the course of the next hour. Hey, real quick, I know we're going to be talking about it later, but let me get your general reaction to the Flyers hiring of that Alain Vigneault as their new head coach. What do you think? Well, I think I like it. I don't know a whole lot about him other than looking at his resume. Uh, he had a pretty good resume. Um, there seems to be some question about his dealing with younger guys, likes to have a more veteran team. But, you know, without Queenville in the mix, uh, he probably was the guy. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I was surprised that it happened as quickly as it did, frankly. I mean, it was just, uh, what, eight days or so after the season ended. But the guy, you know, they wanted beyond Quenville was there. They got him, and hopefully it's going to work out. So we shall see. Yes, we will. And, uh, you know, I think the Flyers season, we've we, we got a lot of other things to talk about. We are going to talk a little more about this, but it's going to be really interesting off season for the Orange and Black. Oh, absolutely. There's going to be some more changes. We know that. Uh, we'll see who's going to still be here and who's going to be gone. Well, one thing we know is, and I don't guess, I guess we could get really excited, is we know we're going to have Carter Hart for a full season, and that's a bright spot. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of bright spots, how about the Phillies today? Uh, pulling one out, hanging on in there, taking two out of three from the Mets. They made it a little more exciting than we'd like, but, hey, they're 11-6. and six. That's not bad. Yeah, and we're going to get to that a little later, too, because I'm going to get your take on how this bullpen is going. Uh, we're a tenth of the season in right now. Small sample size, all the games count, though, and uh, it's always good to be on top. But uh, the bullpen and even the starting pitching is a little worrisome. Yeah, I have a little agita when the bullpen, uh, you know, takes over. <laughs> agita. <laughs> I like that word. That's the, that's the word of the show, I think. Uh, All right, well, hey, we got a couple great guests tonight. We'll be talking NFL draft, as we said, just eight days away. The Eagles and the Eagles with Philly.com's Paul Domowich. And we'll be talking Sixers and the NBA playoffs with 97.5 The Fanatic and and NBC Sports Philly's Sixers outsider Tyrone Johnson. Yeah, Bill, I'm, of course, glad the Sixers rebounded with an impressive game to win on Monday night, but it would have been really interesting to hear a very angry Tyrone on, on with us if they had played like they did in game one. But we're going to have plenty to talk to uh, Ty about, including that article today. I don't know if you read it from the New York Daily News, uh, a basketball reporter saying lots of nasty things about our 76ers, you know, whether Ben Simmons is maybe uncoachable, Brett Brown may be losing the team, so lots of interesting stuff. Tyrone is well aware of that, so we'll talk to him about that. But first of all, we're going to talk a little birds with uh, another great guest, so introduce him, Bill. Well, let's do it. Uh, Let's welcome back Philly.com Eagles writer Paul Domowitz to talk Eagles. Paul, welcome back. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Paul, before we we talk about the draft, uh, we learned on Monday that Carson Wentz is apparently still not 100% post-back injury. Is that a concern? I think it is. Well, sort of. I mean, I, I, I think uh, the problem is that uh, 
Doug Peterson misspoke uh, when he first uh, mentioned the, the injury and said it was a three-month injury. You know, we're going on four months, which is, you know, for a bat broke a, a broken vertebra in the back, it's it's probably par for the course. Uh, they're obviously being conservative. Uh, that doesn't concern me as much as the fact that he's had a lot of broken bones, and you know, you, you start to wonder if he's more susceptible to that kind of injury, you know, some sort of, you know, calcium deficiency or whatever. I mean, this is the second time in his life that he's broken a bone in his back. He did it in high school and it healed and, and a different one. And, and now he's broken this one. He's broken his wrist. Uh, he, you know, he had a hairline fracture of his ribs, his, uh, the summer of his rookie season. And then he had the torn ACL, which isn't a bone, but so, I mean, that concerns me more than anything, not so much that this is a slow healer. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of Wentz and quarterbacks in general, as you know, Russell Wilson just got that huge contract extension, four years, $140 million. There are now seven NFL quarterbacks with an average annual salary of at least $25 million. So what does this all mean for Mr. Wentz and his, uh, you know, new contract whenever that happens? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, there's two ways of looking at this. Uh, the Eagles, I mean, the Eagles kind of seem to want to get something done at some point uh, before the season. But I can't imagine, uh, you know, I mean, the fact that, I mean, if I'm them and I'm going to be throwing a lot of guaranteed money at this guy, I want to see him stay healthy for a season. So, uh, you know, that's I, I don't quite understand why they'd want to do a deal now, uh, other than the fact that the price is going to keep going up for quarterbacks. Uh, but as Joe Banner mentioned in a story I wrote this, uh, yesterday, you know, now that Wilson and, and Aaron Rodgers are both signed, um there's probably nobody uh, except, you know, maybe Patrick Mahomes in another couple of a year or two that's going to break the bank. So it's not going to affect Carson uh, anymore as far as the price going up. I mean, he's not going to make more than Russell Wilson right now. Wilson's accomplished a lot more, been around a lot longer, has better numbers. So, uh, and then, and then there's, then you look at it from Carson's side. Does he want to do a deal now? Well, if, if he's worried about all the injuries, yeah, you want to get some security now. Uh, but if he's not worried about the injuries and thinks they're all, you know, the last one was a fluke, the broken back, he may want to wait a year, you know, have a good year and prove that he's one of the best in the game and, and then really cash in. So, you know, it's, it's hard to, without, you know, n- nobody's talking on the record right now, so it's kind of hard to, to gauge what both sides are thinking. But the Eagles do seem – to want to do something, but, you know, it's one thing to want to get a deal done. It's another to get a deal done at the numbers that, you know, the player wants. Yep. Well, Paul, I think the Eagles brass has to certainly be concerned as well of all these injuries. We we knew they weren't going to be able to sign Nick Foles, and uh, congratulations to Nick for hitting the bank uh, and, and making the most of his. But where does this leave Nate Sudfeld, and is he the number two guy, or are we going to have to go shopping and find somebody else, and and Sudfeld not ready. We certainly aren't, I would say, not going to go into the season with Wentz and Sudfeld. Yeah, I mean they they seem to be happy with Sudfeld as as the backup right now. Uh, you know, the only other quarterback they just recently signed uh, Luis Perez from the uh, you know from that AAF that uh, yeah. just uh, went belly up. Um, you know, he's decent decent developmental quarterback, but I mean, certainly no sure thing, but I don't, I don't see them going out and getting anybody, you know, getting a veteran uh, that could serve as their, as their backup this year. I think they 
are going into the season, going into the uh, training camp, you know, with the plan that Sudfeld has earned a, uh, an opportunity to be the backup quarterback. Uh, you know, you can disagree with that. Uh, I have my own concerns about it. I, you know, Nate's a terrific guy, uh, has a lot of skills, um, but, you know, I don't know if, he, if he's, you know, I don't know. I don't think he's Nick Foles, let's put it that way. If they have to turn the, uh, you know, if we get to week 14 again and Carson goes down and it's in Nick Sudfeld's hands, I'd be a little bit more concerned than I was with, with Nick. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul, what do you think of the Birds offseason so far? Uh, partial list here. They parted ways with guys like Golden Tate, Jordan Hicks, Steph Wisniewski, Michael Bennett, and, of course, Foles, while bringing back Brandon Graham, Rodney McLeod, Jason Kelsey, Jason Peters. New additions, old guy, Deshaun Jackson, plus Malik Jackson, Jordan Howard, Vinnie Curry is back. Are these good moves? Is this a better team now than it was, you know, a few months ago? Yeah. I really like the Malik Jackson move. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I like it when, you know, what, what so too often happens both in, in, in football and baseball and basketball is, you know, you see a guy who's had a good year and, and sign him and overpay him and he ends up not being that good. That He basically had his career year. Malik's coming off a poor year, but he's a good player. Uh, you know, I think he's going to be – he's going to make uh, Fletcher Cox even, even more dominant inside. Uh, you know, that's kind of the key right now in this league with spread offenses is you've got to put in, get inside pressure on quarterbacks. It's been a problem for these guys uh, because they haven't had that, that second tackle, uh, you know. Uh, so I think, I think Jackson's getting Malik's going to help him. I like, I like a kid they, uh, they signed uh, who played for the Steelers last year, LJ Ford. He's a, he's a linebacker who's an excellent special teamer, but I think he's also going to help them in, in their sub packages. He's a, he's a good cover linebacker. And after losing uh, uh, Jordan Hicks, you know, they, they don't have, they're not very deep right now at corner at, at linebacker. And I think he adds something, you know, that they're not going to play a lot of base defense. Uh, fewer and fewer teams are because uh, so many teams are in spreads and, and playing three wide receiver. And so you need, you need what you're seeing is, is a lot more, smaller, faster linebackers, and, and I think uh, Ford gives them that. The two moves I, I, I don't like, guys, uh, well, I'm not crazy about it. I'm not going to say I don't like them. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, uh, you know, I could have done without that move. Uh, you know, they claim he's older, wiser, and more mature now that he has kids. Well, you know, I've been around this game long enough to know that, you know, having kids doesn't make you mature. So, uh, you know, he's he's always been kind of a – selfish guy uh, I don't know that that's going to change I'll we'll see what happens when you know if he doesn't get uh, t- uh, more than a couple of targets in two straight games so I mean I thought they could have gone out and got uh, several other potential vertical threats that would have uh, been younger and and better fits and then Jason Peters you know I mean we're going to go through a season like last year again with with Jason yeah. I think uh you know, you're going to hold your breath every game. He's going to probably be, you know, go go through four, five, six injuries. He'll play with them because the man's a warrior. But, you know, you're you're holding your breath and, and basically having to put in a backup uh, for half the snaps or, or a third of the snaps. So I'm not sure that's the kind of continuity you want. But, you know, Jason Peters, in their mind, has earned the right to play as long as he wants to. And, 
Yeah, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no question about that. He's one of the most dominant left tackles I've seen in the last 20 years. Um, I just kind of wish he'd retire. <laughs> right. Well, hey, Paul, getting to the draft, um, you know, I'm not. I'm certainly not going to ask you to to pick a player, but uh, where do you see position wise? Where do you see this team going at in the first round at number 25? Well, you know, I mean, this draft is 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 historically deep in edge rushers and defensive tackles and this team doesn't you know you can't you can't have enough of those and I think there's probably a good chance one of them that that they like will fall to them at 25 Um, you know there's a lot of interior rushers that they could you know I think they would like uh, a guy they could rotate with Malik Jackson and Fletcher Cox so I think that's a possibility you know, there's a couple of good edge rushers that could fall to them. Probably not, but you know, Brian Burns, a uh, kid out of Florida State, and one of those Clemson defensive linemen, Cleveland Farrell. Uh, you know, both guys that you'd jump at if you got to 20, if they fell to 25. Uh, you know, lately I've seen Marquise Brown, uh, the Oklahoma wide receiver, uh, penciled in in mock drafts. Uh, you know, he's he's definitely going to be a consideration if he's on the board. Then I mean, they. You know, they're not looking at Deshaun as a long-term vertical uh, guy. I mean, he's they're looking at him for one, maybe two years. So, I mean, Marquise Brown would bring that to the offense for, uh, you know, for the next several years. And an offensive lineman certainly is a possibility because they need depth there. A uh, guy that jumps out is a, another Oklahoma guy, Cody Ford, who can play tackle and guard. So, I mean, I've got a list of about 10 guys, and, you know, any, any of them could be their guy. I mean, they'll put – what they'll do is put together a list of, you know, they'll they'll have their own list of guys, maybe six, seven guys that they think have a chance to fall to them that are ranked higher uh, than 25. And if you know if if one or two or three of them fall down to them, uh, you know, then they take the guy that they have uh, rated the highest. Yeah, I'm gonna guess that they're gonna go either O line or D line with that first pick. But I've looked at so many mock drafts and I've seen I think three of them that have them taking running back Josh Jacobs of Alabama. And if they don't take him, then maybe in the second round, uh like a Penn State running back Miles Sanders. Mm-hmm. Uh even though they signed Jordan Howard, would they take a running back in the first or second round? I don't think they'll take one in the first round. Uh you know, I don't think they're I mean Josh Jacobs they seem to like him, but you know, they're not I mean they're just he, when, when, when Doug Peterson talked about him, you know, he mentioned he, they need a guy that can catch the ball. Now, Jacobs can, and he's got low mileage. I mean, he only had, I think, 251 carries in his entire career at, at uh, Alabama. But they, I, my, my guess is they take one in the second, third, or fourth round. That's where there's a pile of really good running backs that fit their scheme, including the guy you mentioned, Miles Sanders. Um, you know, they've got two second round picks. They're, they're both deep in the round though, towards the end. And, and that's, you know, if there's a run on running backs earlier in the second round, it'll be interesting to see what they do, whether they try to trade up or not. You know, they don't have a third round pick. Uh, yep. and that, that's where the, the golden Tate trade kind of, you know, bit them in the butt because, you know, while golden, you know, had the two yard touchdown catch that beat Chicago in the wild card game. Aside from that, he was pretty much, uh, you know, I mean, he wasn't what they expected, and they didn't re-sign him. He's, he's playing for the Giants. Um, and that third-round pick they really, really could have used because it would have given 
given them two seconds, a third, and two-fourths in order to give them a, a lot of maneuverability on the second day of the draft. Um, you know, now they're kind of constricted because they've got those two late second-round picks, but no third-round pick to dangle in front of anybody. So if somebody up higher in the second round is there, but they don't think he's going to get to them and they want to jump up, you know, they're going to have to get creative. Well, Paul, it looks like in, in looking at a lot of these mock drafts as well, it looks like there's been such a shift to to offensive linemen and defensive linemen. You know, defensive linemen are always kind of picked high if they were good players, but now the offensive linemen are really taking a spot in this first round that, you know, if it all comes true, that just seems like uh, there's a lot of shift to that in my mind. Well, this year I don't think there's as many first-round offensive linemen as, as, nor, as there have been the last few years. I think you'll see a lot of them go in the second, third, fourth rounds. Um, yeah, this round, I think what you're going to see this year is more defensive tackles and, and edge rushers taken than you've seen in a long time in the first round. I mean, we could see as many as 10 or 11 go in the first 32 picks. Um, but there are, you know, and, and there's no – you're, there's no dynamic offensive tackle in this draft. There's no guy you're going to take two or three. There's 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 about three or four of them that are uh, pretty good. Uh, the kid from Washington, Cody Ford, who I mentioned, uh, a couple of other guys that you're going to probably see go maybe after 12, uh, maybe in the bottom third of the first round. Guys that you know will be able to start right away, but that aren't the can't miss players you've seen in go in the top five or six in uh, previous years. Arizona, I want to ask you about that with the number one pick. Are they going to take Kyler uh-huh. Murray? And what is your view of him in terms of his outlook? Well, I mean, my, my feeling is if, if you brought in Kingsbury, who was kind of an, you know, an outside-the-box coach uh, to bring in uh, with an outside-the-box offense, then, then you take it to the next step and you, you, you draft Kyler Murray. You trade away Josh Rosen, which gives you an, another – first round pick if you trade him to say uh the giants uh who have the sixth pick um yeah i mean it just seems logical that if you're bringing in kingsbury you don't then make him turn around and try to play his offense with a quarterback like josh rosen who who doesn't do the things that kingsbury needs to be you know in his offense and uh you know while murray played that offense i mean he knows I mean, he's the perfect fit for it. So, I mean, you know, I keep hearing that nobody, you know, everybody seems to be backing off right now uh, because nobody, uh, you know, nobody seems to, nobody's as, as convinced as they were a month ago that Josh Rosen's going to get traded and that they're going to draft Kyler Murray. But as far as I'm concerned, it's still a pick that, still the move that uh, the Cardinals need to make. Hey, Paul, I want to ask you an NFL general question, not to do with the draft, but we're, we see what happened in Pitt, in Pittsburgh with uh, basically a revolt against their quarterback, I, I guess you would say, at least by a couple of players. Uh, you know, we've seen Mike Holmgren lose his job, maybe at the hands of uh, Aaron Rodgers, at least that's some speculation. Um how does this get done? And you've been around teams for a long time. How does a coach or a staff manage this situation? Because it seems like it's just getting worse. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's new, though. I mean, you've seen it in baseball. You've seen it uh, in basketball, you know, going back to, you know, Magic Johnson orchestrating yeah. hirings and firings. And, uh, you know, baseball, it's, it's, it's par for the you – know, it's always been – 
uh, par for the course. But, uh, you know, I mean, Mike McCarthy and, and Aaron Rodgers, I mean, Aaron Rodgers now Mike is Holmgren. claiming. I said Mike Holmgren, didn't I? I'm, I went back in about two decades. <laughs> <laughs> but McCarthy, I mean, Rodgers is now denying that any of what was in that Bleacher Report story is true. But, uh, you know, I mean, I know the writer. He didn't make that up. I mean, he's got people quoted on the record. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is now claiming, well, these people, these are guys that didn't like me. Uh, you know, it's always a convenient excuse. Aaron Rodgers is, is, has a strong personality, and he's a little bit quirky. Uh, and the two of them were, you know, he and McCarthy were together a long time. And sometimes coaches have, have told me, coaches that have been around a long time, like a Jim Mora, you know, said there, there should be a 10-year rule. You know, after 10 years, get the hell out of there because you get stale. They get tired of listening to you. Uh, and I think that's kind of what happened with Rodgers, especially when they didn't uh, play very well uh, last year. So, you know, uh, I'm going to be interested in that case, guys, to see how he deals with, the, with Matt LaFleur, who's you know, a first-year coach, only four years older than he is, uh, you know, see how how that works out. I mean, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting uh, chemistry there. Uh, you know, because you got to obviously, if you're uh, a, a first year coach that young, dealing with somebody like Aaron Rodgers, who's going to be a you know a Hall of Famer five years after he retires, um, you know, you've got to figure out a way to make this relationship work, and yet make him do what you want him to do in your in your offensive system so you know um but again to your original question i don't know what you do as a coach other than you know I, the the most successful coaches i've seen have been people that you know aren't buddies with players but know how to to kind of get them get players re- to respect them uh, i think you see that with peterson uh you know they all play on their strengths peterson's strength is that he played the game uh, you know, spent whatever 11, 12 years as a backup. He uses that in the locker room to, you know, he got guys to respect him because he, you know, because he was one of them once. Uh, you know, other guys are a little bit more dominate, domineering. Uh, you know, Belichick, guys like that. Uh, so, you know, I think there are different ways to make this work. Uh, I don't know that players are any more difficult to deal with. You're always going to have strong personalities. You just got to, I think you got to deal with each one of them one on one. Hey, Paul, one last thing before we let you go. Totally not sports-related. Um, last weekend, mm-hmm. I saw you mentioning on social media the Philly.com story about Shenandoah, Pennsylvania, and, yes, kielbasa. <laughs> now, I, I grew up five miles from there in Mahanoy City, and my sister and my 95-year-old father are regular customers of Kowalonik's Kielbasa shop. You cited a place in Wyoming, PA. I need to ask, was that something you discovered during your days at Wilkes, and do you go with horseradish or not? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely yes on the horseradish. Uh, I grew I grew up in Wilkesbury, so I've been eating it since I was a kid. Uh, yeah, but I love the hotter the horseradish, the better. <laughs> okay, awesome. All right, Paul. Well, hey, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, the draft should be fun, and uh, go birds! Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Thanks, appreciate it. 
Pretty sure you know by now how we feel about the Irish Rover Station House. They have an amazing variety of food and drink, and there are lunch specials, dinner deals, happy hour specials, killer burger Thursdays, and always 24 beers on tap. And now with baseball season here, there are Phillies specials whenever the game is on, Monday through Friday, two-and-a-quarter bud drafts, $4 Goose Island drafts, and the Rover's stadium dog menu, too. Trivia every Wednesday evening and a DJ every Friday night. It all happens at the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn. Visit their website, irishroverstationhouse.com. And, hey, Bill, here's 10 seconds of a song that was number one this week back in 1975. I think you'll know it. Yeah, hey, Chet, and, and another little quick music tidbit. Rest in peace, Jay Giles. Yeah, well, that was actually, I think, uh, two years ago, but it was a two-year anniversary of his death this past week. Yes, Jay Giles, uh, uh, the founder of the Jay Giles Band. Yeah, it's been a year or two since he's gone. Ah, well, there you go. See, it's old news, but uh, new news to me. Love that band. Hey, did you ever see Elton John in concert, by the way? I did. I did, actually, in Tampa. You bet. Uh, I, yeah. I saw him with uh, Billy Joel when they toured together their very first time, I guess like 94, 95. It was great. Well, i tell you one little very quick story, Chad. I saw Elton John at Tampa at uh, what is now called the Amelie Arena, and we were literally in the very last row. I might oh, as wow. well have been at your house watching it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure <laughs> it, it wasn't, it wasn't all that fun. Music was great, but uh, we were we were awful far away. All right. Hey, Ted, let's talk about the Flyers. As we mentioned in the lead, they got their new head coach in Elaine Vigneault. Uh, heck of a resume. What do you What do you think? Well, he's, I think, a good coach, a good hire. He's best known for what he did with the Canucks from 2006 to 13. Six division titles in his seven years there. And the Rangers the next five seasons. He's a Jack Adams Trophy winner as Coach of the Year. That was in 07. He took both the Canucks and the Rangers to the Stanley Cup Finals. His teams have averaged, Bill, just over 100 points in the standings over his 16 years as a head coach. That ain't bad. So GM Chuck Fletcher is happy with the hire, and he assures us that Vigneault is also a good communicator, which will be important with a Flyers roster that has a few veterans but several younger players as well. So bottom line, I like the hire. Yeah, I like the hire. And and you know what stuck out to me, Chet, uh, in looking at his coach and record and resume is – his very first year in Vancouver, that 06-07 that you mentioned, made it to the conference semifinals, but he had 105 points that year as in his very first year. So he took what he had and he made something of it. And, he went, and then when he went to the Rangers, uh, again, very first year, 2013-14, uh, 96 points, went to the Stanley Cup Finals in his first year, and then had 113 points the next year. Uh, this guy don't mess around. And he takes what he has, and he makes something of it pretty quick. Yeah, and as you said at the top, there's going to be a lot of changes, you know, some that maybe he will recommend, others that GM Chuck Fletcher will just do on his own. But we're going to see a lot of different faces, I think, from what we saw this past season. Some guys will be back, some guys won't. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of, you know, style he wants to have his guys play. Uh, I'm going to see, I want to be curious to see what he does with the backup goalie. Apparently he has a relationship with Cam Talbot. I guess Talbot was with the Rangers for a while while he was there. So maybe Talbot will stick around, but I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that it's going to be Carter Hart getting 75% of the starts anyway, but you do want to have a decent backup. 
I think the Flyers are going to go as Carter Hart goes in this next year or two. If he develops like we think he's going to, I think this could be, you know, a good couple of seasons ahead for the Flyers. Yeah, and I think uh, one, one final thought. I think that, uh, you know, whatever we're going to say about Ron Hextall, he has left the cupboard pretty full of young talent. And whether they decide to keep some of that young talent or move it for some veterans, uh, they <clears throat> they do have some talent to do some things with. Yeah, and, hey, speaking of hockey, how about those Tampa Bay Lightning setting or tying a record, I guess, for wins in a season and then getting eliminated in four straight games in the first round. I mean, that's hockey for you, but can you believe that? Well, you know, I watched uh, a good part of, of those games. And, uh, you know, after the first period of the first game, the Lightning just could not get engaged. Uh, they didn't make any adjustments really night to night. And Bobrovsky was hot. And uh, we've, we've seen it before that hockey goaltenders can carry a team through through series, and that's certainly what happened here. And the Penguins got eliminated two and four. Yeah, I was going to say, just as exciting, just as exciting (laughs) is that the Penguins are gone. We like that. But, hey, Chad, let's move on. We said in the opening the Sixers laid an egg in game one of their playoff series with Brooklyn, bounced back in game two. Um, What do you think? Brett Brown apparently got a little fired up himself. Yeah, cussed the team out at the half of the second game, and uh, they certainly got things done. They did what they had to do. Very impressive win. And let's get somebody on to talk about it, Bill. Yeah, let's talk about where this series and the rest of the playoffs are going with 97.5 The Fanatic and NBC Sports Phillies Sixers Outsiders. Tyrone Johnson, welcome back, Ty. What's going on, guys? How's everything? Awesome. We are doing good. Hey, Ty, good, welcome back. Good, and welcome back to a Sixers team also, a Sixers team we can feel good again about after that dreadful game one. How did they go from looking so bad on Saturday to looking pretty darn good in Monday's game two? What happened? I don't know what it was. It was it was odd. But some of it was just simply they shot three for 25 from three. And if they shoot – and they missed so many foul shots. But if they shoot seven for 25 from three, which isn't this great percentage, and they win that game, we say, oh, they were sluggish, but they still got the win. They weren't going to shoot that terribly again. They're not going to shoot that terribly again in the, the whole playoffs, and I think that played a big role in it. They were lethargic, but 3 for 25, I think a lot. there was a fluky nature to it that we overlooked that day because everybody was so angry. Wait, Ty, what did you think about that? I don't know if it was a self-imposed game plan by uh, Joel Embiid where there was a quite a long period of time in that second game that he did not shoot the basketball, and then all of a sudden he took control of the game, started going to the hoop, and uh, it, it was lights out from there. Well, I think other guys were struggling, uh, especially Tobias and, and J.J. Reddick. I think the plan was to get those guys going because Embiid can get his whenever he needed to. And in that big big run to start the third quarter, he got 11 straight points at one point for the team. He can get his whenever he wants. So I think that was by design. I wouldn't be shocked if that was the same plan in tomorrow night's game, get everybody else going, and then Embiid come in later because those other two guys have really been struggling. So I think it was about trying something else offensively. And the Nets really, that game, it got out of hand in the third quarter, but they were red hot from three in the first half, and, and they're not that good a three-point shooting team, and they made zero in the third quarter, that's more like what they really are. They can make them, but they're not. They take a bunch of threes, but they don't make a great percentage. They made ten threes in the first half. 
Otherwise, they would have been down 15 at the half and would have been down 40 points in that third quarter. The only reason they were only down 30 was because they were red hot early. So I think that they kind of go hand in hand. They want to get other guys going in the next. Yeah, and then B just decided, all right, it's my time, get 11 straight points and put this thing away. Mm-hmm. All right, Ty, we've got to talk about that New York Daily News story that came out this morning, uh, basically saying Ben Simmons is kind of uncoachable. Um, Brett Brown is in purgatory, coaching purgatory. Elton Brand, maybe not the biggest Ben Simmons fan. Simmons missed an Orlando game, not with a stomach bug, but because he was out partying a little too much the night before. What do you make of this whole story? I mean, I, well, there's a couple things. It, it's not good for a guy to miss a game for drinking, if that's true, but my, the, the problem I have with it is he played 81 games last season, 79 this season, and one of the ones he missed was when he sat all the starters in the final game against Chicago. So if this is a guy who's drinking all the time and partying all the time, how's he able to play so many games with the Orlando game? So that's the problem with the story. The second part that the problem is that Bruce Bowen thing was reported on in January, and a lot of people don't like Bruce Bowen. He, people didn't like him when he was a player. He kept trying to get in Embiid's face over and over again. I'm not scared of you. USA Today focused on it. There was a Keith Pompey wrote about it. And now when he writes the story, all of a sudden Embiid's in Bowen's face. So I think there's some parts that were just straight fake in the story. As far as I, I can't speculate on what Elton Brand thinks about Ben Simmons, but none of it will matter if they win. And that's, that's the other true. part. Yeah. <laughs> And he's in coaching purgatory. Well, yeah, I guess so. But if they win, he's not. If they lose, it's not purgatory. He's gone. So I, I don't understand what he means by purgatory. There's a lot of people that are coaching for their jobs. There's a lot of players that are playing for their jobs. Like Nick Nurse, if he was to lose to Orlando, he would get fired. Is he in purgatory? I know that series was 1-1. Is he in purgatory? Like, what does purgatory mean? Mm-hmm. It, it means he has to win. Well, it, how's that different than every other team? Where you have where you don't have a, a coach with a bunch of pedigree, like how many coaches are actually safe? If right. if Budenholzer was to lose in the second round, he's been called a genius. He probably wouldn't lose his job, but he would enter next season in that same kind of purgatory, meaning you have to win. So I don't understand that. And we also know that this GM didn't hire the coach, so I just don't know how this situation would be any different than any other situation that's similar, where a coach is going to a certain level and people are watching to see if the coach can get him to the next one. So that's my issue with the story. I, anyway, I, most of it, I think that 75% of the story is probably made up, and then there's probably some grains of truth mixed in. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it certainly got you fired up, though. That was good. Well, <laughs> the, it, because the thing is, he, people jump on, people jump on, oh, look, he's coaching for his job, but so what? But that, it's not, coaching professional sports is tough. You have to win. That's right. We remember, remember Doug Peterson after the first year. A lot of people thought he was an idiot. He comes through the second yep. year and wins the Super Bowl. Had he failed that second year, would he be in purgatory or would he have to win to keep his job? I don't, I don't know what coaching purgatory is. That's my problem with it. He has to win to keep his job, but we knew that before he wrote that story. Yeah, well, you know, I think that's a perfect example of what's going on today over in the hockey world where the Tampa Bay Lightning – Tied the all-time record for wins of the season, get swept out in round one, or wanting to fire the coach. You know, I want <laughs> to ask you guys about that. There's something about this that happening that bothers me, and, and I, let me explain why. And I want to hear your guys' opinion on it. 
So NBA, NHL both play 82 games scheduled. You can say they're too long if you want, whatever. That's an opinion. But what I like that the 82 games in the NBA seem to matter. What I mean is, if I watch 82 games of a team, and the Sixers are a special case because they changed the roster. They basically had three different rosters in 82 games. But I know how good most teams are from watching 82 games. So, therefore, that regular season has value because I watched them over 82 games and I learned something. I got information from it. When a team that has one of the best records in NHL history gets swept in the first round, it gives me the feeling that those 82 games meant absolutely nothing. So while the playoffs are awesome, I'm getting no information about which team is good and which isn't in the regular season. So then an upset's not special because it's a crapshoot. And that's, it bothers me. So I get it's great while the playoffs happen. For me, though, it ruins the regular season because what's the point of investing in those 82 games if that team could then lose in four in the first round? Ty, I've thought that all the time. I mean, because that's just the way it is in hockey. There can be so many upsets in the postseason. It doesn't really matter where you finish, what your seed is. It all comes down to, you know, who has the hot goalie in a lot of cases. And we know Tampa Bay theoretically has a better team than Columbus, but if Columbus has a goalie that's hot or, you know, just one guy who gets on fire, I think that can change that sport of hockey more so than something like that can happen in basketball, which is, I guess, more of a, you know, team-reliant thing. So that's my take on it. It just a lot of times comes down to the goalie, and that's why you see so many upsets in hockey, whereas you don't see quite as many in basketball. And don't get me wrong, the playoff hockey is much C. And I'm not trying to be a hockey hair. What I'm saying is when the, when the Cavaliers beat that 73-9 and nine Warriors team in seven games, them losing was so big because we all had a ton of evidence that that Warriors team was an all-time great. So when they lost, it was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this team won. How great is LeBron that particular year? We're talking about Kyrie's shot. And it becomes something that's remembered. This is remembered now. But in two years, it might not be a sweep, but another one seed after 82 games of playing great is going to lose in the very first round, and it's not special. And it's just part of it will always bother me because why do we play 82 games? Imagine this in, in, in baseball where if that team that was, you know, it went 110 games and then they get swept in the first round, it, it would make almost that 162 games meaningless. And that's the part that I just can't seem to get around with this, with the lightning specifically, it just bothers me. And I think it's bad for a sport that doesn't need anything to be bad because they're already fourth. And, I mean, I know hockey fans get upset, but they're fourth. That's just a statement of fact. And I don't think they should just always think, well, we're always going to be fourth and we should just reserve ourselves to be fourth. I think other sports can be vulnerable. I don't think anybody's automatically going to be a certain way forever. And, but, your regular season mattering very little is not a way to help that you get out of fourth place, if you know what I mean, because the interest is I can just wait until May and then watch. I can wait till April. A lot of people already don't watch till January. I don't think that's great for your sport. I agree. Hey, Ty, well, let's jump back over on the Sixers for just a minute. I want to say to you, uh, you mentioned – Tobias Harris uh, getting off to a slow start here in the playoffs. J.J. Reddick uh, struggling a little bit shooting. Jimmy Butler throws up 36 in game one, comes back with seven in game two. Um, what do you make of all this? There's a lot of inconsistencies, uh, it seems. I, I mean, that, 
you have five guys. If you watch the Warriors, there's been games like that where Curry's hot and then Clay isn't in Durant. I don't think that that's that unusual. The Sixers were able to score over 140 points with Butler only scoring that amount. I think that shows you why there's so much pressure on Brett Brown and why there's people say if he doesn't win, he loses his job. How many teams in this league can go out and put that many points up with your second-best offensive player scoring in single digits? This offense, their upside of this team is unbelievable. And there's a thought that if they're well-coached, they'll reach that ceiling. If they're not well-coached, that they won't. And to me, it's just a, a byproduct of having that many weapons. The night when all five of them are high, they could literally score 160, 170 on a team. Easily they could. But that, that's not going to always happen. So while that would be a fluke just like them shooting two for 25. So I don't think it's that odd that he was up and down. I think that happens with a lot of teams. We just notice it because we watch every Sixers game. Ty, another Ben Simmons question. Um, justifi- justifiably so, he was getting killed over the weekend for his performance in game one. He yep. came back very strong in game two. Do you get as frustrated as the rest of us watching him play sometimes, particularly the resistance to taking any jump shots? The jump shot thing doesn't bother me anymore because I know it's not going to happen. It's when he kind of checks out on the game completely yeah. is when I, I get bothered. Um, he, he's a guy who can affect the game a lot of different ways. And if, he, if they're walling him off on offense, I wish he would just still force it and I wish he would take the eight-footer. But I know that's not going to happen. Because I, so that part can be frustrating, but I know, so I'm not going to let that part frustrate me anymore. The part that really bothers me is he allows that to shut down other parts of his game. He stops getting other guys involved. He doesn't drive to pass. He stops driving completely. Or he doesn't play great defense, or he doesn't go out and get you 15 rebounds. There's, there's multiple ways to affect the game. And Bean didn't shoot the ball well in game one at all, but he still got 15 rebounds and five blocks. So while I can complain about how he shot, when I look at the complete game, getting five blocks and 15 rebounds, I know he was still active. I know he was times where he's not even there. And that's the part that's frustrating for me. The jump shot thing, I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I don't like it. But I have to accept it this season. Next season, he has to come back a better player. But the part that's really odd to me is when he completely disappears because other great players in this league now don't do that. They find other ways to affect the game. And then in game two, he affects it on offense and defense, gets a triple-double, obviously. He does everything. I don't know why he doesn't have that mentality more often. Hey, Ty, I have to ask you, uh, been a lot of talk as this, you know, down the stretch where they gave a bunch of guys a, a time off, didn't really mesh this team together very well. Uh, do you see that as an issue, and do you see it hurting them as they get further in the playoffs, assuming they get uh, further in the playoffs? Well, they're going to beat the Nets. I'm not worried about them beating the Nets. It, it can be a problem, but I think with Embiid's health was number one. They're not doing anything without Embiid. So a lot of guys resting was really him. The other guys rested. Jimmy Butler had the back, but J.J. was playing pretty much all the way to the end. Ben Simmons was playing all the way to the end. Tobias was playing all the way to the end. So really it came down to resting Embiid. And if Embiid's knee was still – he was still doubtful for game one, obviously he needed to be sitting. So – I think, no, I think talent is almost everything. And if they get it going and the coach does a good job, they can beat any team. I don't think it'll be cohesion that causes them to lose. 
I think it'll be Ben Simmons not being good enough. I think it'll be the Raptors just being playing better, the Bucks just playing being better. I don't think it'll be cohesion, and they're playing together now. I don't think it'll be cohesion that'll cost them. It could be other things, but I don't think it'll be cohesion. All right, Ty, you said that they're going to beat the Nets. I hope you're right. I think you are right. What is your prediction beyond that? How far do the Sixers go? What do you think? That's, that's tough. I, I don't, right now, they would be underdogs to, to the Raptors. Now, the Raptors do have some problems, though. They're not perfect. The Gasol trade hasn't helped them the way that they thought and that there's, um, they're now vulnerable to pick-and-roll play, and Jimmy Butler happens to be a great pick-and-roll player. And if they have to take Kawhi off of Ben Simmons because Jimmy Butler was killing them in a pick-and-roll, that would cause them major problems. But Toronto would be favored in that series for a reason. They were better than them all year long. But they have to, they, I, I, like, everything changes if they don't beat them. So I just hope the players have the urgency that they had in game two every game against them. And I hope the coach has that same urgency because I think, in my opinion, he's not back if they don't beat that team. So I think they're underdogs, but it doesn't matter. They have to win. But I would have to pick Toronto right now because they were better all year. But I do I hear think Sixers are more talented. Sixers are more talented. So they should win. But things happen. We'll see, huh? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Ty, I think we've used up all your time. We certainly appreciate you coming by to join us, and uh, let's do it again. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm sorry for the hockey aside, but it's been bothering me all day long. (laughs) No problem. No, we we were just talking uh, hockey ourselves. Yeah, I heard that. It was just that was something that's really been bothering me all day long because that's not great. All right. Thanks, Ty. Appreciate you. Thanks, Ty. Hey, hey, Chet, did you know that 56% of Americans have no idea how much they'll need to retire? If that sounds like you, you need to talk to Dave Alloy from Allstate in Westchester, PA. You know it, Bill. The same person you count on to help protect you can also help you set a reasonable retirement goal, then show you the right financial solutions to help you get there. A good plan and a good life starts with someone you trust. Call Allstate agent Dave Lavoie in Westchester, Pennsylvania, 610-430-0700, and start planning for your retirement today. That's right, Dave Lavoie at Allstate, 610-430-0700. And, hey, Bill, a day late, happy 55th birthday to Dave Perner. He's the lead singer of Soul Asylum. There you go. All right. Hey, Chet, let's talk Phillies. As we mentioned, 17 games into the season, basically one-tenth of the season. Not a huge sample size yet, but all the games count, so that's good. What's your assessment after three weeks? And I'm going to just toss one thing out there to you uh, because I know this is kind of important to you. Jake Garrietta is pitching pretty darn good, and Aaron Nola is not pitching pretty darn good. Yeah, well, that's my concern. I mean, that's what we talked about when we went into the season. We had our little preview show three weeks ago. We knew the hitting was going to be there most nights. They're going to score a lot of runs, a lot of games, but pitching is often going to be an issue with this team. Um, Yeah, Aaron Nola, the big concern for me. He was okay on opening day, but since then, his three starts, he's been awful. Five runs or more in each of his last three starts. He didn't do that at all last season. 
Nick Pavetta, who was just sent down in the minors, we all thought was going to maybe have a breakout year. We thought that last year, too. It didn't happen last year. It didn't happen this year. He's gone in the minors now, and Eikhoff's going to replace him in the rotation. I mean, Vince Velasquez has been okay, but we know that's not going to last because that's Vince. Zach Eflin, two great starts and one awful one. So pitching is still a real concern for me, both starting and the bullpen. This team has four saves so far by four different guys. Make it five now. I guess uh, Neris got his uh, save today. So maybe he has two now. I don't know. Yeah, he, uh, he has two and three yeah, other guys have one each. Yeah, uh, I would like to see someone, you know, take the bull by the horns and become the guy as closer. And now Robertson's on the injured list. So pitching is my big concern. I'm not worried about the hitting, but, yeah, Aaron Nola, I think we'll straighten it out, but it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I'm with you, and, you know, I man, Hector Neres scares me to death, and he, he did again yep. today. He he put him in a bind, and I'm not going to pick on Kapler today just because we don't have time, but I think he, he miscoached that thing today uh, with Arietta, but that's a story for another time. I think the thing that, that worries me is that you've got uh, Dominguez, who has struggled, you have Robertson, who struggled now on the DL, as you mentioned. Nares, if he could hold the job, he's already had it in the past, and they didn't want him in the job. Now he's kind of there by default. Uh, that's not good. And, and and Adam Morgan, I just don't get it. He's still <laughs> – uh, he's got an earn-run average of zero. Um, but he just doesn't, just doesn't get it for me. I don't know what it is. Yeah, but uh, we can't complain about the offense. Even with Harper now in a little bit of a slump lately, um, they're still getting a lot of production from a lot of guys we didn't expect. Franco has been amazing out of the eight hole. 18 RBI in 17 games for Franco. He's on a pace bill for 170 RBI now. I don't think he's going to get there, but that's pretty good. Scott Kingry's hitting 500, and he's going to get a little more playing time if uh, Segura isn't ready to come in back into the lineup for the next few days. Um, I'm not worried too much about this team other than the pitching, but I think they're going to be there all year. And, by the way, they're on a pace for 104 wins after 17 games. Well, and uh, you know, and that's that's the key right there. I mean, they've only lost one series. Uh, they split the one with the, with the Nationals one game to one, and then they lost three out of four to them. But they have won every other series. And, you know, if you win two out of three out of 162, you end up with 108 wins. Uh, you know, 104, 108, doesn't matter. Yeah. You win that many games, you're going to win the, win your division. And, uh, you know, I, I keep saying that what an offensive powerhouse I think this is. But then, then all of a sudden they just get shut down in some games. I'm thinking, how does this happen? I want to see another pitcher. I saw a report today, I think it was from Bob Nightingale, that the Phillies are one of the teams interested in working out a trade for Texas ace Mike Miner. I would love to see that. I don't know if it will happen, but I definitely think they need another starter. Well, who you get rid of? I mean, unless I you know. go to AAA, you can't get rid of anybody. Yeah. Well, we can get rid of your boy, uh, but nobody's <laughs> going to want him. That would be no, that Aaron yeah, off okay. air. we got to throw that out there. Holy cow. One for 18, Chet, by the way, hitting 056. But you know what? He pitched an inning over the weekend and looked pretty darn good. Well, there you go. Maybe he could find <laughs> his find his spot because, uh, you know, we, we've seen him just about enough of that. But, hey, let's go back for just a second because I do want to say, uh, talk about Mikel Franco just a little bit. Interesting, you know, his average is only at 250, Chet, but six home runs already, 18 RBIs. Uh, 
I'm really kind of happy for him. He's a guy that I, I kind of had given up on, and I'm hoping he just has a huge year. Oh, I do too. I like him, and I think he doesn't have any pressure on him anymore. He's you know hitting lower in the lineup. He's not being counted on to be the big RBI guy, and yet here he is with 18 ribbies in 17 games. So I hope he keeps it up. I'd love to see it. One final Phillies question for you, Chet. We're, as we said, we're a tenth of the season in. Bryce Harper, the impact, what do you think? Four doubles, four home runs, only 10 RBIs, but he's been on base a lot, got a lot of stuff going on. What do you think about Bryce Harper and being in Philadelphia? I like him. He loves being there. It was obvious, you know, from all the interviews and from what he said at the uh, announcement yesterday about the All-Star game coming to Philly in 2026. He said, you know, this is his home now, and he's looking forward to being here and playing there in 2026 in the All-Star game. And last night we saw him on the bases running through a stop sign. Gabe was okay with it. Gabe on Bryce Harper this morning I heard on WIP saying he loves watching Harper because it's like watching the richest little leaguer in the world. (laughs) That's great. That's great. All right. Hey, Chet. Uh Let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They continue to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly sports teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC. 118 Raz Room. That's right. PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. And hey, Chet, who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable next week pre draft? Yeah, Bill, it is draft night eve next Wednesday, and we're going to welcome back an old friend to mark the occasion and talk lots of football. He's semi-retired, but he still does some writing, including some for our pal Bob Patrone Jr.'s website. He's doing a new podcast now with our friend Ken Dunnick. And he's coming back for what I believe is visit number 12. He'll be on the phone with us from his beach chair in South Carolina. Mark Eckel will join us next Wednesday. All right. Looking forward to that. Uh, Mark's got a lot going on, too, since his retirement. He's he's <laughs> yeah. revitalized himself. So I'm, I'm anxious Staying to talk busy. to him about that as well. Staying busy. All yep. right. Hey, Chet, do you have a parting shot today? Because I was going to do one on Tiger Woods, but I never got there. So let's talk about your parting shot. If we have time, we'll come back and talk Masters. Yes, indeed. Uh, the parting shot. Where is it? Oh, there it is. Okay. Bill, many of our great guests are affiliated with Philly.com, including Paul Domowicz this week, plus Mike Sealski, Bob Brookover, Frank Fitzpatrick, Sam Carcidi, Ashley Greenblatt, Sarah Todd, Keith Pompey, Ed Barkowitz, etc. They've all been on our show. They all do great work, and we love them all. But here's the issue. I used to buy the print edition of the Daily News almost every day in the 2000s until it got too expensive. But I continued to buy the print edition of the Sunday Inquirer, even after they raised the price from $2 to $3 a few years back. Always love sifting through the Sunday paper. But two weeks ago, the company raised prices again, and this time they just took it too far. The Sunday Inquirer, no longer $3. It's not $4. It's $4.95. And the 7-Elevens near me that sell it don't even give you that nickel back. They charge you $5. Yeah, 5 bucks <laughs> for a Sunday newspaper, a 67% increase. Now, you could save money if you commit to seven-day home delivery, but they don't deliver in my area of New Jersey. And you could save money if you just do the online thing. That's $0.99 cents for the first four weeks. 
then 350 a week thereafter. But I would miss having a print edition to go through section by section every Sunday. However, I think that's going to have to be the case now. I just can't justify paying $5 each Sunday for a damn newspaper that I only read about 10% of anyway. So sorry, guys. You know, I, I can't even respond to that yet because it's uh, <laughs> the newspaper business is basically out of business. That, that's that's kind of where it is. It's, it's electronic or it's nothing, I guess. Hey, you wanted to say something about Tiger, and before you do, real quick, Mike Tirico, the call on NBC Sports Radio, Tiger's final shot to win it. Here it is. Woods, puts it. He is in! He has done it! Tiger is back! Tiger is back on top! Tiger Woods, the 2019 Masters champion. One of the great comeback stories in American sports history. There you go. Well, I have to agree with Mike. Uh, you know, and it was fun to watch, Chet. The, uh, the, the ranking or ratings came out, the golf ratings. It was the highest it's been in, what, 35 years or something like that. We, we said last week, you asked me the question in our uh, – in our little question and answer deal. Yeah. And uh, I said, uh, soccer, soccer, golf is better when Tiger Woods is in it. And uh, it certainly proved out this weekend. It, it was a, uh, almost a must-see event for people when he went into Sunday right in the hunt. Yeah, and unfortunately, I was out, and because they moved up the start time on Sunday, I got back shortly after it had ended, so I missed it live, but I, of course, saw you know some of the replay, and it was pretty exciting. Even though I'm not a huge golf fan, it was exciting. Although, to be honest, I'm not sure that his comeback is worthy of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but we're not going to talk politics. No, no, that's, that's a whole <laughs> other story. But, but I do have to tell you one thing, Jeff. We had a little laugh that uh, I was with my son, and we had to make a trip, and then we came back separate, driving separate. And uh, he he really likes golf, and he's a big Tiger uh, Woods fan, and he is listening to golf on the radio. Now, it's hard enough to watch on TV, but listening to golf on the radio, I think that's taking it to a whole new level there, Billy Furman. Yeah, I'm with you. Hey, final <laughs> thing before you wrap it up, DVR alert tonight on NBC at 1135, the Jimmy Fallon Tonight Show, the guest Kate Beckinsale. You're welcome. <laughs> there you go. That's about the only reason to watch Jimmy Fallon. All right. Wrap it up. With that, we've reached the top of the hour. Let's thank our special guest tonight, Paul Domowicz, Tyrone Johnson, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LakeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Razroom, and Dave Avoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chet Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio Wednesday, April 24th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or you can find our podcast on iTunes at TuneIn. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. <laughs>